from the Ventura County Craigslist free section. 100 strawberry plants, 30 bamboo skewers, dirt, more dirt, and beautiful dirt, a used medical surgical square toe post-op shoe, free massage by Latin Bull, free gospel music DVD, no catch, it's my way of giving back right now, rocks, a door, a working trash masher, three faded plastic pool chairs, a palm tree, a rabbit hutch, and a large aquarium. The bench seats from a 2006 Dodge Caravan, succulents, and five notebooks. The one pictured has the poo emoji on it. I don't know what this little thing is, but it's bitching, and I think it's Kim's. the story. Welcome back to the Townies podcast. I am Kim Maxwell and I am a townie. I'm a townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, The raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same. To go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories. Because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Episode 21, Cool as a Cucumber. Kicking off this week's episode, Kitty Pool, written and performed by Angelina Martin. A fiery, pink-haired, foul-mouthed, big-hearted son of a gun with passion and empathy for days, Angelina is working on her stand-up routines in Austin, Texas. This was not how my first breakup was supposed to go. (laughs) This was not the grandiose romantic dumping I dreamt of as a little girl. I was supposed to be pretty crying on a vine-covered balcony, my full-length silk crimson robe billowing behind me as I stoically poured lighter fluid onto the scattered pile of my ill-behaved lover's belongings four stories below me. I was supposed to be wearing waterproof mascara. He was supposed to be an Italian farmhand with no impulse control. Instead, I am 16 years old. I'm a brace-faced bag of hormones, it's the 4th of July, and I'm furiously whisper-shouting at my stupid boyfriend, Chad, (laughs) 
whom I hate for no other reason than he's stupid and I hate him. <laughs> it's a snake eating its own tail situation. Don't try to find the source of the hate. It will only hurt your brain. We are sitting beside the kiddie pool, dangling our feet in. I invited him here to go swimming to avoid talking to him, but we are both still fully dressed. We hash it out in our indoor voices because in addition to being in a very public pool setting, we are also being graced with the presence of half of my extended family. <laughs> the half I like, no less. <laughs> to the left of me sits my sweet, sweet, docile cousin, Margaret, <laughs> who is politely pretending to not hear a squabble less than two feet from her God-fearing ears. <laughs> it's like you don't even want to hang out with me anymore, Angelina. <laughs> Chad salts. You don't even text me back. <laughs> I told you, Chad, my family plan only allows me to send 12 text messages a month. <laughs> Besides, I'm like super busy with the flag team this semester. I, you know that, Chad, you know that. <laughs> my poor, uncomfortable cousin, still feigning deafness, vigorously kicks her feet in the kiddie pool in an attempt to drown out our adolescent lover's quarrel. She tries, but is unsuccessful. Look, I'm fucking done! <laughs> Chad whispers, exiting the two feet deep kiddie pool with a vindictive splash. Are you seriously leaving, Chad? Chad, get back here! Chad! Chad! I whisper shout across the pool. Fine, Chad! Leave! Go jack off to Legend of Zelda! <laughs> I wasn't sure he had heard that last part, but sure enough, he whipped his head around in fury. That was one time, Angelina, and I told you that in the utmost confidence. <laughs> he stomped off to go geocatch his pain away, and that was that. My first relationship crumbled in front of me, and I hadn't even had the forethought to keep the receipt. We didn't vow to stay friends or anything gross like that on account of him being the worst. But once a year, I still see him at some weird house party. In the corner by the pool table, clutching an IPA like it's a family heirloom, and growling at some poor teenage girl about the plot of the historical science fiction novella he's writing. Because nothing makes the panties drop like an unpublished manuscript about wormholes to Colonial Williamsburg. I always excitedly rush up to him, and in response, he loudly groans upon seeing me, and I enthusiastically tell this entire story to whatever underage Melanie or Shayna he's trying to hit on, because I too am the worst. <laughs> She and I inevitably proceed to bond over what a dumbass Chad is while he stomps off, huffing and puffing, presumably to go jack off to Legend of Zelda. We were listening to Angelina Martin. Next up, Crushing It, written and performed by Morgan Flannery. Currently working the graveyard shift at a post-production company in New York, Morgan is a music fiend with a passion for stories. Oh, how I wish you were here. Five weeks ago. <laughs> I'm walking to the bathroom, thinking about what I'm going to say if my work crush asks me what my plans are for the weekend. I only have a minute to spend peeing if I want to ride the elevator with him, so I have to think fast. <laughs> Baking. I'm baking lemon bars this weekend. No, lavender lemon bars. Better. That sounds cute and a little crazy. 
I walked back quickly, just in time to catch him packing up. You got anything cool planned this weekend? <laughs> he asks. Baking, I say. What are you baking? A cake, I say. Oh no. <laughs> I've deviated from the script. I've gone rogue. <laughs> what kind of cake, he asks, and I answer, lemon bars. But that's not a cake! <laughs> so then I follow quickly with, and strawberry shortcake. I'm using Bisquick. <laughs> because... I don't know why. <laughs> so then I turn the whole thing around on him and I say, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> he tells me about this cool show that he's going to because he's cool. <laughs> and this barbecue that he's having with his friends because he's social. <laughs> and by the time we reach the elevator, I start to relax and breathe again. When out of nowhere, he asks, do you ever go to the farmer's market? Because they have great strawberries. And I say, I love strawberries. I basically am a strawberry. <laughs> and he says, really? And I say, yeah. <laughs> and then I leave the elevator, walk briskly to my car, and don't speak to him for two weeks. <laughs> After that, I thought it was over. But then he invited me to go to this Brazilian jazz night with him, and I was so excited. And I wore this really great lacy top with the perfect pants that screamed, I'm effortlessly cute. <laughs> and then I got to his apartment to meet him for drinks, and when I knocked at the door, it swung open like he had been there, waiting for me, except that it was my boss who answered. <laughs> And then the three of us went to Brazilian jazz night together. And then I didn't speak to him for two weeks. I'm just a temp at this job and only have two weeks left here. And I've come to the realization that it's just not going to work out between us because I can't talk to people who are great. So I call up that guy that I know who's just okay and set up a date. <laughs> just to take the edge off of it. <laughs> He's fine. I don't love him or anything like that, but I'm at a point in my life where if I squint and tilt my head to the side of it, I think I could grow to love him. <laughs> we go out to dinner and I look like I'm out of his league because I dress cute and he dressed in what looks like an old reject Christmas sweater that he picked out of the free pile at his aunt's garage sale. <laughs> but that's okay, because at least we're probably turning heads, leaving people puzzled, wondering, why is that hot girl with the dork in the ugly sweater? <laughs> <laughs> we split an appetizer, and he's telling me about this amazing ice cream place that serves ice cream tacos with the shell being made of fresh waffles. And I say, that sounds amazing. And then he suggests that we eat light here and have our dinner be the ice cream taco. And I say, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and at that moment, I think I could really grow to love him. And this time, I mean it. 
So I stick with the appetizer, which consists of two shrimp and an oyster. He orders a steak, a baked potato, and rice pilaf for himself, while I sip on some bubbly water and dream of what's to come. After he's finished, we leave the restaurant and drive an hour in traffic to this place, giving us ample time to talk and begin our love story. He spends the hour telling me about how the window placement at the restaurant was all wrong. The light fixtures were too complex and the silverware was trying too hard. And I spend the hour listening to him intently while also planning out my outfit for my last day of work in two weeks. You know, because I want to look nice, not for any other reason. When we arrive at the ice cream taco spot, I'm excited because I love tacos. I love ice cream. And the merging together of the two is bringing me joy that I have not felt in a long time. <laughs> we walk in and he says, go ahead, pick any three flavors you want. <laughs> Which is a smart move on his part because I am an expert at ice cream flavor fusion. <laughs> we get three scoops of ice cream, so naturally I pair the peanut butter toffee with the sea salted caramel and the, add the pinnacle cookies and cream to create the masterpiece of my dreams. <laughs> he pays and I carry our beautiful love taco <laughs> to the table with a view. <laughs> I grab two spoons for us so that we can more easily share the taco and maintain looking cute while doing so. I take a small bite to taste and savor this moment of pure bliss. I am elated as I look out of the window at the view of the setting sun and then gaze over at my date who picks up the ice cream taco, takes an enormous bite, and then lets out a sound of satisfaction. As it is my turn <laughs> to take the next bite, I let my spoon lead the way toward the taco. But just before I get there, he picks it up again. And then, he eats the whole thing. <laughs> the whole fucking thing. <laughs> I am livid. <laughs> it's not even about the ice cream taco itself. I mean, some of it definitely is. <laughs> like the part where I watched this asshole devour the ice cream taco that I crafted to perfection. But even more than that, it's about what the ice cream taco represents. I generally don't like to read too far into things. But I think this is clear as day. I am an afterthought to an ice cream taco. 
In all of my 22 years on this planet, I have never been more wronged than I have been at this moment. <laughs> I speed walk back to the car, too angry to speak. The only thing holding me together right now is the thought of getting home and eating a real fucking meal in front of my sweet ass TV like I should have done in the first place. <laughs> but of course, he misses my fucking exit. <laughs> And then, he looks at me and says, Oh, I just assumed you want to come over. <laughs> to which I say, Didn't anyone ever tell you? When you assume? <laughs> you make an ass out of you. And me! <laughs> he laughs. What's funny? I ask. You told me to eat light. You described this ice cream taco experience to me in great detail while I watched you chow down on a steak and a baked potato and rice pilaf. <laughs> You said that this ice cream taco would change my life and that I had to have it. Well, it's kind of hard to have an ice cream taco when it's all gone, isn't it, Danny? <laughs> You're not just okay. You're a self-involved, presumptuous, ice cream hogging monster. There's no room for me in your life. Now take me home. I'm hungry! <laughs> After a long, quiet ride, <laughs> he pulls up to my apartment, and I get out of his stupid car and hear him mutter, geez, all over an ice cream taco. I bend down to let him know it's about what the ice cream taco represents. <laughs> and then he speeds off into the night, never to be seen or heard from by me again. Two weeks later, with my eye on the prize, <laughs> I execute my plan. Knowing tomorrow would be my last day, I purposely dress down for work today so that I really shock people with my beauty when I roll in tomorrow. <laughs> With my perfect outfit, carrying a tray of my famous triple-layered fudgy caramel brownies. I can already see the brownie passing over my work crush's tempting lips and melting into his beautiful mouth. <laughs> As his heart melts along with it, finally realizing that he loves me too. <laughs> when I get to my desk, there's someone in my swivel chair who jumps up, cupcake in hand, and says, Hi, I'm Aton, the new temp. <laughs> in honor of my first day at work and your last day, I have brought in cupcakes. I look forward to working with you today. Aton hands me his crappy Vons cupcake. <laughs> As I look to my boss, who smiles at me, I feel dizzy. Is this a nightmare? <laughs> a joke? 
Is this April 1st? What's happening? <laughs> I'm informed that due to construction, the office will be closed tomorrow, making today my last day. A stream of silent tears pour down my face as I hide in various crevices of the office all day long until it's time to pack up and leave for the very last time. I go to the bathroom to wipe away my snot and wash my face. And when I get back, my work crush is gone, like the wind. <laughs> without a goodbye, without a giant love confession, I'm left with nothing but a broken heart and a disgraceful cupcake. I drive home ugly sobbing the whole way. Honestly, I don't even know why I'm this upset. I didn't even know him that well. I only knew that he loved baseball and food and concerts. And dressing up like John Lennon for Halloween. <laughs> because I stalked him on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> but I guess I let things get a little out of hand. <laughs> I'm not usually so crazy. I'm just a girl with an optimistic spirit and an open heart. <laughs> Looking for someone to tell my jokes to and share meals with because the portion sizes in America are outrageous. <laughs> Distracted by all of these profound realizations and tears, I miss my fucking exit. I get off of the next one and, like fate, it leads me straight to a sweet lady Jane's shop which, if you don't know, is one of the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> I'm not a religious woman, but it is the Vatican. <laughs> of cake. So I do the right thing. The only thing I can do. I go home, sit in front of my sweet-ass TV with a fork and a, of sweet a, a slice of sweet-ass Lady Jane's German chocolate cake. I eat half of the cake, go to put the other half away, say fuck it, take it back to the TV with me, <laughs> and enjoy the whole damn thing. Because I'm a woman who knows how to take care of herself in times of need. As a general rule, it probably is best to share this amount of cake. <laughs> but it also feels pretty damn good not to. This is love. From me to me. <laughs> that was Morgan Flannery. And now, Julie Christensen with 5050 from her amazing album Love is Driving. Just when 
but disappear Headed for the souvenir shop You think you'll throw another coin The wishing wheel Oh well It's a 50-50 proposition 50-50 happy You just better hope you don't get second game. 
50-50 was written by Julie Christensen and Scott Wilk. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. Olay, written and performed by Lisa Williams. This dog-loving, tree-hugging mom of one is a recent recipient of the Phyllis Gebauer Scholarship in Writing from the UCLA Writers' Extension Program. Well-deserved, Miss Lisa. Well-deserved. Preparing and serving food for other people freaks me out. And it's kind of a hard thing to get away from in life, especially when you're a woman over 40, which I am, have kids, which I do, and come from a family of brilliant Italian chefs. Oh yeah, you know the people who make pasta with their bare hands? Not once, every day use every square inch of their dirt as an edible garden, and insist that you eat a huge meal, even though you just came from a two-hour lunch. Manja, manja, manja. That kind of lineage. Everything, happiness, was measured by the food. The reality of my life is that I lose friendships over this anxiety I carry. Many sweet people in my life invite me over to their homes for dinner parties and celebrations, and I don't reciprocate. The mutual invitation never comes. The shame of this snowballs and turns into sheer avoidance. I'm aware that the fear of putting out a tray of a bread, cheese, and an iced tea is irrational. And yet, there it is. Not good enough. (laughs) Serving cooked food for others, my face will start twitching. (laughs) Secretly, secretly, however, I like to cook and experiment. It's one of my great hidden joys. I spend a lot of time sifting through recipes and blogs, finding healthy versions of baked goods, even compiling my own handmade recipe books. I mean, who does that? One time, I made a special cake for a man I loved six months after we broke up. (laughs) Twisted, but perfect. I didn't have to share it with him. It was an anniversary cake. I start to stress out about six months before my son's birthday parties because I worry about the food. Indeed, I have a problem. My son's new school in our new town has announced a chili cook-off. I immediately think, oh shit, another event I would like to attend, but I won't. Another no-show, another hiding in the background of life. As the time draws closer, that nagging anxiety I feel around food starts to turn into, to my complete surprise, a repetitive inner voice saying, I want in. No, devil voice! Who do you think you are? I immediately start arguing with that one. I mean, I have way more important things to be doing than stressing about cooking chili. For example, finding a J-O-B. Finding an attorney to help me move through this D-I-V-O-R-C-E so that I can eventually have S-E-X. I immediately... (laughs) 
You see, for me, it's not just popping several ingredients into a crock pot and showing up without a care in a fun, playful way. It's about making really good chili. And I realize in this moment, oh, I'm competitive. <laughs> and the voices of unreciprocated dinner parties past came in with their chorus of, you're not good enough, don't make a fool of yourself, and your brother owns a restaurant. <laughs> At the same time, my alter ego devil voice is signing me up for the chili contest. What? What are you doing? I've never made chili. Foreign territory, homeland security, imminent threat alert. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Alter ego devil voice puts my inner chef down for a nap with an ether soap cloth and wakes, shakes awake my inner marketing director. And first thing I decide to do is avoid making the chili and go decorate my crock pot. <laughs> The whole beautiful vision of my crock pot comes to mind. The palette-friendly colored ribbons I'll use, the cozy cloth handle I'll make for the top of the lid, the, the sign I'll make for the special name I will give the chili. I go to the Ben Franklin and spend a good long time picking out a country-style flannel fabric, orange and gold ribbon, and the perfect cardstock for the fabulous sign I'm going to make to accompany the crock pot. This isn't overcompensation, is it? <laughs> nah, I'm just breezy. There, now that I've decorated, I can panic about the chili. Ah, the chili! I mean, I only have three whole days to do this deal. My mind scrolls back to a handwritten chili recipe some male divorcee gave me 10 years ago. I ferret through my papers and boxes for my recent move, but I can't find the holy grail. Now what am I going to do? <gasps> Wait. I remember something from the recipe. Chocolate! <gasps> chocolate! Everybody likes chocolate. I could put chocolate on a piece of shit and everybody would like it. <laughs> Through the magic of the internet, I find a chocolate chili recipe. Perfect. It seems easy enough for me to do. None of these long, slow simmers that take two days. I go out and spend an astonishing $98 on ingredients. <laughs> Using grass-fed meats, organic vegetables, and a splurged spice atopia. I mean, anything to get an edge. Enough for two to three recipes because, of course, I have to practice. Nerd! I put on my ratty tatty stained pea green 15-year-old apron and get to work. Pretty soon, I learned one very important culinary lesson. Never take your contacts out after you've touched a jalapeno pepper. <laughs> my nine-year-old son is frantically looking up solutions as I'm screaming and running around in circles. My eyes are burning out! My eyes are burning out! I can't even open my eyes to help myself. <laughs> Think spraying mace in your own face. Psh, which, by the way, I've done before in my mail carrier days, but that's another story. <laughs> One solution to the pepper problem was to wash my hands with alcohol. Well, alcohol is the last thing I'm going to put on what feels like a fire. So I blindly stumble around like Frankenstein, soak my hands in bleach, pour half a gallon of milk in my eyes, and once I regain my sight, head out to Rite Aid to spend another $10 on disposable gloves. And, and, and fuck you, chef, who writes a recipe that uses jalapeno peppers and does not even mention this issue. I mean, my prof 
professional recipe book would include a compassionate and common sense asterisk with the pertinent information. Seriously. My first batch turns out mediocre. Yay, it doesn't suck. The voices from unreciprocated dinner parties past rise again, telling me not to do this. It doesn't matter. And what's the point? Just stay home and watch TV, for God's sakes. But I knew I couldn't go back out now that I had my son involved and excited. Back to the cutting board. I tweak some of the recipe, play with the amount of chocolate, and call out a miracle. I remember the magical movie, Like Water for Chocolate, and how the young maiden, Tita, was forbidden to marry her true love. The only way she could express herself was through her cooking and infusing it with her passion. (laughs) What the heck? I decided to give that a try. Every ingredient I add, every stir of the spoon, I chant, made with love. (laughs) Made with love. Well, I don't anticipate it's going to cause orgasms like in the movie. I'm really hoping it'll boost the flavor. I taste this second batch and think, hmm, a nice balance of spicy and sweet. My hands are now shaking at the thought of going forward with this. So I do a Tony Robbins-style positive self-talk frenzy dance and surrender into bringing my offering, letting go of expectation, and just doing it for the fun of it, which is really more like the person I want to be. For a split second, I loosen up and name my chili Chili de Chocolate Olay. For such an uptight person, I actually do have a little flair sometimes. As I gather my well-dressed crock pot for the night of the affair, I feel like I'm headed to the Oscars. I'm getting tense in the car as I see the chili swishing dangerously close to the sides of the white pot, which is perched between my son's legs on the floor. Damn, it's ruining my presentation. My only merit. I'm biting my lips so I won't yell at my son out of all the anxiety I feel. My son turns to me with his hand on my arm. Mom, I think you're going to win. (gasps) Which, Which immediately drains the blood from my face. Well, honey, I say, like trying to cover a volcano with a piece of paper. <laughs> I've declared myself a success just for participating. I haul my 20-pound crock pot to the school courtyard, and the first person I run into is Mr. Hot Teacher. Suddenly, I'm a 12-year-old girl. My eyes get wide and googly, mating hormones storm my brain, and I nervously crack a joke about my crock pot as a baby. <laughs> I'm lucky I didn't drop the baby. I mean, crockpot. No one laughs. I'm so nervous that I fumble around for 10 minutes looking for an outlet for the pot, even though all the connections are right in front of me. I stop myself, mindorosis, and take a spot on the safety zone back table. But I clearly and subtly display my fabulous and artful sign. If I wasn't so wound up in my approval seeking, I'd probably really like chili cook-offs. I mean, you get to eat 25 Dixie cups of different chilies? A 
all totally unique. I found myself hurting people towards other people's chilies. Try the venison chili. Ooh, the conundrum's a really good one. So-and-so made the green one. My son, on the other hand, was hurting people towards my chili. Mr. Hot Teacher must have found out because at one point he came up to me mid-spoonful and said, Yours is really good. <laughs> I heard my voice. You really like it? You really like it? I am now Sally Field accepting the Academy Award in 1985. You really like me? Luckily, luckily during this ordeal, I meet a very talkative and entertaining couple, Mr. and Mrs. Industry Name Droppers, who keep my mind off of Mr. Hot Teacher and my own self-imposed isolation while people taste and vote and mingle like old friends. I talk with Mr. Industry Name Dropper about cornbread for a good 15 minutes just to pass the time. My son comes up to me and makes sure I have my ballot filled out. I'm embarrassed, I have to admit, I vote for myself in four out of five categories. <laughs> just in case no one votes for me. And by the way, there's no best dress crockpot category. I think my best bet is to win best name. I mean, Chili to chocolate Olay? Come on, it doesn't get more festive than that. As Mrs. Industry Name Dropper and I talk about her fabulous background in theater and the chili event approaches the end as they begin to call out the winners, my brain fucking freezes up and I can't even hear what most recent accomplishments Mrs. Industry Name Dropper is talking about anymore. I just see her mouth going up and down. Where is the escape route? If I win for best name, will I have to give a speech in front of these 75 people? What if I make a fool of myself in front of Mr. Hot Teacher? I'm in a full-blown panic attack, and there is no way out from the spotlight of shame. Four of the five categories are called. Damn, really? Didn't win best name? Well, conundrum was pretty clever also. I'm disappointed, but not surprised. And as I start to pack up my display, I hear the drum roll. Best overall chili. Chili de chocolate ole. <laughs> my son starts jumping up and down, yelling. What? Mom, you won! I, what? He's pumping his fists in the air. My jaw drops. Mr. Hot Teacher gives me a sparkly-eyed wink. Oh, my God. Mr. and Mrs. Industry Name Dropper are clapping theatrically. I, 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 oh my God, am I supposed to be doing something? Then all of time stops. As I wobble toward the stage like the tin man, my son jumping up and down beside me, screaming something like, In your face, chili bitches! 
we step onto the stage and they hand him some kind of prize. I can't see what it is because he's lassoing it around his head for all to see. Dizzy from the surrealness of all that has transpired, I stand there, stunned, watching my son, my number one fan and taste tester, jalapeno pepper triage manager. Guy who believed I was going to win before we even left the house. His sparkling blue eyes and golden face are lit up and radiating with pure joy and aliveness. I finally get a glimpse of the prize. It's a brand new, crisp, red and black, chili pepper apron. Jackson walks towards me. We're at eye level now. I bow my head. And like the coronating moment that this is, he dons the new prize-winning apron around my neck. And that was Lisa Williams closing out this week's episode of the Townies Podcast. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world, to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. I almost said Whiting Scholarship. <laughs> From the White Scholarship. <laughs> From the UCLA. The Whiter's Extension Program. It, she's a really good Whiter, Ken. <laughs> oh, my God. Kim has been possessed by Elmer Fudd. <sighs> All right.